0: Thank you, Charlotte. Shall we pray? Lord, you meet us here in the midst. You are here now. We thank you for your presence. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be amongst us this morning. We pray that you will open hearts and minds to your word. We pray that we will move at least one step closer to you here this morning, Lord. Amen. Oh, can you hear me okay? Am I up? Yes. Yes. I'm up? Good, good. All right, well, um, hello. (laughs) How wonderful to be here and how slightly strange. Um, Yeah, family. Our family. It's... um, A bit of a a coincidence, as it seems, that this passage was handed to me this morning. Uh, It just sort of came up that way, that I've um, been allocated this this wonderful prayer of Jesus to the Father uh, when he's on the point of leaving. Um, Now, I I guess the challenge for the preacher here is to do justice to the passage without stepping entirely into the role of trying to be Jesus. (laughs) Although there's some kind of irony in that as I am uh, heading for ordination next week. But I really want to talk about family this morning, um, from a couple of different angles. And, and the first thing that I wanted to start with was: Has any of you had this uh, DNA test done, where you look at where you get your ethnicity profile? Has anyone, anyone done that? Oh, there's a few hands gone up. Yeah, excellent. Simon there, Adrian, and one or two of us. Brilliant. Did anyone any major surprises? Anything exotic, Adrian? yeah, yeah, I was going to get onto that in a minute, yeah, bit of, yeah, a bit of Viking. yeah, um, but otherwise, solidly Lancastrian, clearly. Yes, absolutely. Well, I was slightly surprised. It, it, for those of you who don't know, basically what happens is you go onto a site like ancestry.com and you pay it's not cheap. you pay about 60 quid, and you get in the post um, a little kit, and it's got a test tube and a few chemicals in there, and basically all you, what you do is you spit into the tube, put the top on, stick it in this packaging, and send it off to some lab in Germany somewhere. And then about eight weeks later, you get the results back, which is all very interesting. What they do, they've got a massive database, so they match your DNA against the profiles of people known to be from specific regions of the world. So I came out um, 76% Northern English. Adrian, is that good? Is that better or worse than yours? Oh, you're 85, are you? See, we're playing one-upmanship with Northern Englishness now. I was hoping and expecting to be 100% Mancunian, but there you go. It didn't work out that way. Uh, so 76% Northern English, 10% Welsh. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Woo. This gets exotic, doesn't it? 10% Welsh, 8% Irish, 3% Scottish, and, as, as Adrian also experienced, 3% Norwegian, Yeah, those Vikings, eh? They did get everywhere. So I like the idea of being composed of different bits of the British Isles. I was going to deploy that to my advantage this week during the Euros. So thinking, well, when England get knocked out by Germany, I can just switch to Wales. (laughs) I guess that plan didn't work out, did it? And as for the Scots, uh, forget it. But anyway... It's good. It feels. It's interesting. And obviously, Ancestry.com are onto a onto a winner here because there's clearly hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people across the world who are sort of um, tapping into this. And as it says on the Ancestry uh, website, we all have a deep desire to know who we are, to know where we come from, to know whose tribe. Or family that we belong to. And I think that today's reading gives us a really wonderful insight into helping to answer those questions. Who we are, where we come from, which tribe we belong to. You could say that it speaks to our spiritual DNA. Something that unites all of us here, that connects us with the universal family of God as well as to each other. We are brothers and sisters before Christ. And in John 17, we've got this beautiful prayer that we've just heard Charlotte read to us, This lovely prayer where Jesus is praying to his father on behalf of the disciples. This family that he has nurtured for the previous three years. And he is praying for their protection because he knows he's shortly going to be leaving them. And he knows they're at risk. So he places them in the hands of the father from whom he received them in the first place. And that's also a lovely image the Bible gives us here when Jesus says they were yours and you gave them to me. Disciples described as a gift from God the Father to his Son for safekeeping and now Jesus is in a sense handing them back to his safekeeping so that no harm should come to him, to them, once he has gone. I'm not praying for the world, says Jesus, only for those that you have given me, this, this family. And we know that's how Jesus thinks of the disciples. We know from Matthew's gospel, don't we? That famous story when uh, he's told uh, when he's meeting with the disciples and there's crowds around and, um, and someone comes and says, your family are outside. And Jesus points to the disciples and says, here, here is my family. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And that theme is, is found throughout the, the New Testament. In Romans 8, uh, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And Ephesians 1, God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. So here we have Jesus praying for this special, precious family that's been called out for a specific purpose. And it tells us in the passage that purpose is to bring glory to God. And they're to do that by being sent out into the world to do his work. So why then do we think that that Jesus is praying for their protection specifically? What is it that they need protecting from? Well, there's a clue there when Jesus says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. What does that mean when he says the world has hated them? Is he dismissing and denigrating his own marvelous creation well no we've got to keep reminding ourselves with the gospel of john that this word the world this phrase is a reference not to the physical literal physical stuff around us but to all in the world that is dark the forces of darkness of evil all that is wrong with the world and those forces of evil are the ones that are seeking to extinguish the light they are in opposition to god so jesus is praying for their protection that none of them would be lost because he knows that the enemy would enjoy nothing more than to see God's family splinter and become disunited. And disunity may come through conflict or disagreement, but more, more insidiously, I guess more subtly, it may happen simply through apathy, through weariness, And through a kind of self-imposed isolation. And by that I mean the choices that we make. The choices that all of us make. The priorities we set that can separate us from the family of Christ. Not separate us from the love of Christ. That can never happen. We know that. But we can make decisions that separate us from the family. And we've got to be open, I think, to the reality here. That the cause of this kind of disunity and breakdown does have a spiritual dimension. As Paul writes in Ephesians, a verse that many of us will be familiar with, that idea that the struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I don't know, how many how many of you have read C.S. Lewis's uh, classic, uh, The Great Divorce? Anyone read The Great Divorce? One or two out there, two out of three were preachers. That doesn't count, does it? You've got to. It's a wonderful book. If you haven't read it, it is, it is a fantastic book. It's an, easy re- well, it's an easy read on the surface. I was going to say it's not like C.S. Lewis's deepest theology, but it is rich in theology. It's a beautiful parable of a man who experiences both heaven and hell. But it's interesting that Lewis in the book describes hell not as a place of fire and brimstone, but a place where residents constantly quarrel and bicker and then continually move away from each other. Building new houses that over the bleak stretch of eternity leave people living almost infinite distances apart. And Lewis's Hell comes up this picture of people being sort of helplessly compelled outwards to the edge, to the margin, away from the centre by a, almost a, a malign centrifugal force that seeks to drive them to the edges, away from family and away from fellowship. It's the very antithesis, it's the opposite of the way of Christ. Because the way of Christ is a centripetal force. It's one that gathers in. It's one that holds the center. It's one that encourages and builds and develops relationship and community. And, And the notion of embodied community lies at the very heart of Scripture. Think about it. Right from the beginning in the creation narrative, God declares it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a a helper suitable for him, laying foundations for the first family unit. You could say that God himself is community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the intimacy of that relationship is something that is beautifully illustrated in these three chapters that we're looking at in this sermon series, John 15 to 17. In fact, it could be argued that the entire arc of Scripture is the story of divinely established community. From the adoption of Israel by God to the incarnation of Jesus and his calling of the disciples to the establishment of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, as church, we gather when we can, increasingly so, I hope, for communion, for our family meal. And Scripture shows us that Jesus loves nothing more than sharing meals with people. There are ten such stories in Luke's Gospel alone of Jesus sitting down to a meal uh, with others. And, And one writer has observed that when Jesus wants to explain his imminent death to his disciples, he doesn't give them a theory, he gives them a meal. It's important. So why am I pressing this point so hard? Well, it's this. Because... Amid all the well-founded optimism of mission opportunities in the coming months, of accounts of how many people have tuned into online services, of an increase in those who are looking for spiritual answers, I also see a threat. I do see a threat, and I see that threat coming from within, because some of us are emerging from lockdown thoroughly exhausted. Some of us are feeling frustrated and annoyed that restrictions continue to linger on. Some people have developed new habits, new routines that have relegated the commitment, the time commitment to this family down the priority list. And it's not a challenge that's unique to St. Paul's or St. Barbara's. Believe me, no, the the diocese, uh, Guildford Diocese recently sent out a letter to all the churches in preparation for Archbishop uh, Justin's visit in September, Encouraging us to launch new mission initiatives. But offering at the same time the opportunity to opt out. Because of the physical, emotional and spiritual battering that everyone's taken over the last 15 months. That spiritual battering is my words, not the diocese. But that was the uh, underlying message within that letter. And don't you think, would it not be a tragedy... If what is being called a a once-in-a-generation opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Christ is thwarted because the church, the family of Christ, isn't ready, has drifted apart, has settled for perhaps a more passive kind of engagement. Or some people have disappeared altogether. Now, perhaps the fact that you're, you're here this morning, either in person or online, suggests that I'm preaching to the converted, but I can't see what's in your hearts, behind your masks, and behind your screens. You may well be enthusiastically embracing every opportunity you can to reconnect, or you may be hanging on by your fingernails. And of course, the obstacles to a full family reunion are still very real, but my prayer for us, my Passionate prayer for us is that we would stay the course. If you need help, reach out. If you know someone who's kind of moved to the edges, invite them back to the center. If someone's disappeared off the radar completely, seek them out. If you know somebody that needs words of encouragement because they're disheartened or frustrated, reach out, speak those words of love and encouragement to them. And even with restrictions, let's try as much as we can to meet together safely, of course. I hope as many of you as possible, rain or not, will join us after the service for lunch in the park. I hope that as many as possible will be able to go to, to, together again at the end of July. And even if you don't feel like attending, I would say this. consider, Just consider the possibility that somebody else needs you to be there. And for some of us, reconnecting is just going to be hard work because we've fallen out of the habit. And while we ought to be and absolutely should be gentle and kind to each other, let's also recognize this is a spiritual battle. And we need to be prepared and we need to wear the full armor of God. And we need to pray. Yes, we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for this church, for Tom and Daniel and the leadership. For this church family. Pray as Jesus did in this passage. Pray for protection for each other, for a clearer understanding and revelation of God's truth, and pray, yes, pray for a full measure of joy to fill our hearts. Because that is my prayer for you. And if you would indulge me for a few moments. I want to pray for everybody at the end, but just for a moment, I do want to make this personal, since this is the last time that I will stand before you as a member, at least as a member of this church family. Next Sunday after ordination, my new vocation begins immediately in the parish of Stonely. But I think the great thing about being family is that you never really leave, do you? You never really leave. And you have all been family for me and for Anne, for Lily and for the boys over the last 20 years or so. And I I just want to say it has been an honor, a real honor and a joy to share our lives with you over that time. You know, when we arrived here at the start of the new millennium, I would never, never have anticipated that I was going to be called into public ministry as a LLM. Bracket, reader, close bracket, or just reader, as we called them in those days, back in 2005 when my training started. And it really is quite extraordinary that I'm standing here before you now on the verge of being ordained. Who knows? Who knows where God will lead each of us if we're open to his calling? What I will say is this, and I'm, I'm quite certain that I would not have arrived at this moment without the love and encouragement of this fellowship. All of you. All of you here, all at home, watching, and those that aren't, past and present. Thank you. And since I've been a minister here for uh, 13 years or so, I do want to publicly acknowledge those colleagues and friends in ministry who I've had the privilege of sharing this space with up front, so to speak, for the last many years. Liz, and Tim, and Simon, and Daniel, and more recently Tom, thank you, and Sophie, and Norman. And of course those that have gone before, Claire, Mark Chester, and a whole, I don't know, flock of curates. What's the collective noun for curates? No idea. What is it? A holiness, a curiosity, a whole curiosity of curates, Got to be careful here. One of the former curates of this church, Mr. Martin Bredmore, the Reverend Martin Bredmore, is is my new archdeacon. So you know, keep your friends close. They say we should we should all we do all stand on the shoulders of giants, and that is absolutely true true in my case, and to all of you, particularly those of you who I've shared ministry with, thank you. For your wisdom and your insight and your devotion to preaching God's word faithfully and fearlessly and now and again, even humorously. So my message this morning has been about the dangers of drifting apart, of disunity. But while I do think that is a real threat and we need to be aware of it and pray into it, my experience in this place for the last 20 years is that this is a family with a long and a very proud history of sticking together through thick and thin, of supporting and encouraging each other. There has always been, in my mind, uh, an innate strength in this fellowship that I'm sure we will see St. Paul's continue to be a beacon of God's love and God's light for years to come here in Camberley. And I'm really excited by all that's happening, finally, <laughs> at St. Barbara's. And doing Car Park Church has been great fun. But seeing new people show up for worship every week, just a few here and there and building up. I think the last time we sat in the car park together, there were 45 of us. It just shows us, if we needed telling again, that God's mission will not be thwarted by the lack of a building or the lack of a roof or by the machinations of developers or defense departments, or local councils, not by COVID and not by lockdown, nor by any of these dark things that the world can throw at us, because the victory is already won through Jesus Christ. And we all, my brothers and sisters in Christ, can look forward, I'm sure, to many joyful family celebrations, both now and into into eternity. Let me finish with the prayer. Let me pray for all of us, please. Lord, these people, this family of St. Paul's and St. Barbara, so precious to my family, to Anne, to Lily, for so many years. Thank you. Thank you for their love and support and friendship that we've always found here. I pray, Lord, almighty Father, that they'll be united and faithful and steadfast fully committed and fully equipped to proclaim your gospel afresh and continue the ministry here in Camberley and in Deep Cut. And to borrow the words of Jesus, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one so they may continue to grow in the truth of your word and in love for each other and all the people who live and work in these communities. So Lord, fill them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit so that they may have the full measure of Christ's joy within them, now and forevermore. Amen.